You're listening to a press conference from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health with Evan Benjamin, Associate Professor in the Department of Health Policy and Management and Chief Medical Officer of Ariadne Labs, a joint center for health systems innovation at Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Harvard Chan School. This call was recorded at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Friday, May 7th. All right. For today, Dr. Benjamin, do you have any opening remarks for us? I do. First of all, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, very excited about this work that we've been doing at Ariadne Labs, and I hope uh, this is helpful for, for you. Uh, I just have a couple words to sort of describe um, some of the issues, and uh, then we can have some Q&A. Um, so let me begin. Um, we have a significant portion of the U.S. population who are hesitant or unwilling to take one of the COVID-19 vaccines. And while approximately 60 plus percent of Americans will accept the vaccine, there's an estimated about 20% who are hesitant and are waiting or learning. And there's approximately about 15% of the population who will definitely not take the vaccine. Uh, this reluctance to get vaccinated among certain US populations could threaten to derail the progress uh, and really prolong this pandemic. So it's really crucial to improve the confidence for people to take the vaccine. In addition to a lot of the work that's being done, such as public health uh, messages, conversations with trusted messengers, including medical providers, such as primary care physicians in their offices, are a key method for helping patients make the best decision about COVID-19 vaccination. We believe that there's still progress that we can make to cut down vaccine hesitancy. And that's why Ariadne Labs has created a vaccine confidence toolkit. For those of you who don't know about Ariadne, we are positioned at the intersection of frontline care delivery and public health. Uh, and we've been able to quickly desi design and disseminate evidence-based tools uh, to really improve frontline uh, delivery, uh, and especially during this time of COVID. The Vaccine Confidence Toolkit was developed after a thorough review of the most recent medical information available and with direct feedback from healthcare providers as well as patients. What we heard from providers is that they want to encourage their patients to have the vaccine, but they were unsure about how to have this conversation. And so we created this Vaccine Confidence Toolkit to support medical providers to have these conversations with their patients who have concerns. The toolkit uses motivational interviewing techniques that can help to encourage listening in a non-judgmental way, and then helps to tailor the messages for the specific concerns. What we have found in our research is that there are many concerns people have uh, and that not all vaccine hesitant populations are the same. However, the concerns really fall into three buckets. Uh, bucket number one is, is the vaccine safe? Such that, you know, will I get sick from receiving the vaccine? Uh, will I get COVID from the vaccine? The second bucket is about, does the vaccine work? Will it actually reduce the chances of me getting COVID-19? Will it protect me, my family, the community? And the third bucket is, can the vaccine be trusted? Uh, can I trust the FDA, the pharmaceutical companies, the scientists, the government? So our conversation guide and the toolkit really supports 
trusted messengers, in this case, healthcare providers who have relationships with patients to listen and address these concerns. We are disseminating this toolkit uh, nationally. We're partnering with uh, national societies, uh, and we hope that, that primary care providers who have these trusted relationships still have the opportunity to have these conversations. We know that the more people get vaccinated, the better chances we'll have at eliminating COVID from our lives, hopefully getting us back to our freedoms and getting us back to the livelihoods uh, and joys of living. That's a quick run through uh, about our guide. Uh, we've shared uh, the toolkit with everyone. Uh, so please take a look at that and I can help answer questions about uh, the process of what we did to develop the Vaccine Confidence Toolkit, uh, as well as any other questions about our research around uh, hesitancy or any other question. Great. Thank you very much, Dr. Benjamin. Uh, and like I said, there is a link to the toolkit in the Zoom chat, so you can go ahead and see that. It's the same link that's also in the media advisory. So even after we leave this, you should have a, a link to the toolkit. All right, uh, looks like first question. Oh, hello, thanks for the call. So uh, I just wanted to double check. I think you just listed 20% um, hesitant, 15% won't get it. If Is that right? And just, um, there are lots of surveys out there. I don't know if there's one particular source you're going to, or is that kind of like a, a consensus as you look at the different sources that kind of what you come up with? Yeah, there are a number of different surveys which have been done. Uh, I was really averaging many of them, uh, you know, just the ballpark that uh, we've been tracking. Uh, the Johns Hopkins University Center for Communication Programs is one that I uh, work with. But if you see a, a number of these, um, they all are falling in the ranges that somewhere between 60 and 65 percent uh, of Americans will accept the vaccine um, somewhere around, you know, 13 to 18 percent are saying they definitely will not take the vaccine. Uh, and then the rest in that middle who are sort of in that hesitant uh, waiting, learning uh, bucket. So and the, the surveys have really uh, tracked over time. They were different in the fall than they were in the spring. Uh, but those are sort of the rough estimates as we see uh, the overall acceptance rates of the vaccine. Thanks. And then just one follow-up. Um, did, did the surveys move with the J&J &J pause? I mean, you mentioned vaccine safety being one of the key issues for those who are hesitant. And I, I just wonder, um, it seems like the pause made that group maybe even move into the not, I'm not going to get it, but I don't know what, what, what you're seeing on that. Yeah, you know, the, the, when the pause happened, we were very concerned that uh, this would fuel uh, some of the fire about, uh, about safety. Uh, but, you know, after the pause was lifted, actually, we saw the numbers really return, which was uh, very encouraging. Uh, and I think in many ways, the abundance of caution uh, and when people saw the overall numbers uh, in terms of overall confidence, and certainly around the issue of safety, uh, did come back to where it was before. Uh, so we're actually really pleased with that. Uh, we believe the J&J &J vaccine will have a significant role to play uh, in vaccinating the population. Gotcha, thank you. Next question. Hi, thank you for, for hosting this. I really appreciate it. Um, so 
employers that I've been interviewing have been focused on the one-on-one conversations um, that you mentioned were are very you know success or helpful, um, and they've been focused on on peer influencers. And for context, I've been interviewing health centers and um, workers at those health centers and first responders who've been eligible for a couple of months now. Um, but their coverage rates are around sixty um, percent still. And so I wonder, what do you think about employers offering incentives at this point? Do you think offering bonuses, for example, would sway people on the fence or should they just be doubling down on one-on-one on one conversation? Thank you. That's an excellent question. Um, you know, I think the better part of Valor and what we tried to do with our vaccine uh, confidence toolkit was really come realize that the best way to get people to make a decision is really through education. Uh, we can't impose uh, vaccines. We really have to persuade uh, and therefore uh, giving people the right information that addresses their specific needs, we have found has been the most effective way. Um, you know, we've seen uh, employers think about two things. One, uh, making the vaccines mandatory, uh, and the other, it providing incentives. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the Americans certainly don't like to be told what to do, uh, and that's going to be a big part of the issue around making things mandatory. Uh, I think there is a small role for incentives, um, but I, personally, I do not believe that's going to move the needle as much as uh, really going through a process of uh, education, uh, talking about the strategies that would be helpful for people uh, so that they understand, uh, is the vaccine safe? Does it work? Can it be trusted? And how do we tailor those messages to address their concerns? And just to, to follow up on that, I hear you when you say that you don't think incentives will move the needle, but I have to ask if, you, if, if you've seen any that have, um, maybe anecdotally have, um, you know, got one or two or three more people vaccinated that wouldn't have otherwise. I don't know. Yeah, I have not seen any data on this. Um, you know, even some states are doing this. West Virginia has been uh, putting in a $100 incentive for people to get vaccinated. I have not seen data on its effectiveness yet, though. Thank you. And just to clarify, talking about employers of healthcare workers, correct? That's correct. So I've specifically, yeah. So I've been interviewing uh, F FQHCs um, who were first eligible late late December or mid December, January, um, and the coverage is is hovering around sixty three percent for FQHCs, um, right? But these aren't just healthcare workers. These are frontline. These are front desk people, et cetera. And so um, the focus has been on on um, what these one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you know, peer influencers. And um, I, I guess uh -huh. I, I find it interesting, right? That they're, that they're, the strategy is still that. Um, one person explained it to me is because uh, vaccine hesitancy is a spectrum and what might not have landed, I don't know, in January may land today. I don't know if you have any like thoughts on, on the importance of like continuing to use this strategy. Um, yeah. Yeah, and again, I think the reason we developed the toolkit was to focus on 
who are those trusted messengers? And then uh, support those trusted messengers in having the, the conversations. Um, and while things have changed over time, um, we come back to the fact that uh, many people were forming opinions really before they've had conversations with uh, their, their own physician, for instance. Uh, and so the, our, the purpose of our creating the toolkit was to make sure that actual conversations uh, based on facts, based on listening to concerns, answering you know, with accurate information, making sure that those conversations were happening rather than people making decisions based on anecdote or their Facebook feeds. Um, and so our, our feeling is if we have the conversations with the trusted messengers and we can support the, the messengers having these conversations, that that's will be the biggest way to uh, increase the vaccination acceptance rates among the hesitant. Thank you. Uh, next question. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Um, two questions for you. Um, what does the tool tell you about people who say, I'm just going to wait? And then uh, the second question is to follow up on the very good question that just happened about incentives. So um, how do you address people who say, I'm just going to hold on for a bit? Well, the, what we tried to get from the toolkit is what are um, what's behind the, the waiting, uh, and so by using some motivational interviewing, trying to understand what the concerns are, uh, is this an issue of safety? So, do people want to see more people vaccinated, for instance, or are they aware of the overall um, uh, safety profile? Which has been developed now, you know, and it continues to uh, mature with millions and millions of people around the world. Uh, or is it a concern about um, the efficacy? Uh, you know, in terms of if I if I get it, you know, I've heard people get get COVID even though they have the vaccine. So what's the data behind that? So is it an efficacy question, uh, or is it is it a a trust question? You know, I want to really make sure that uh, there are not uh, GPS trackers in it before I get it. So what we tried to do in the conversation guide is tease out why are you waiting uh, and then address those issues very specifically. Um, so again, we think nudging through education, uh, offering, uh, using choice uh, offerings in terms of understanding the reasons behind it uh, was probably the best way to, to learn uh, learn, learn about those concerns and then address them directly. Um, so it's the learning behind the reasons of the waiting. Your second question about uh, yeah. the, in, the, in, yeah. the incentives. You said incentives play a small role, but is there anything that you've seen to suggest that shame or access are a motivator? For example, you can sit with your friends at Yankee Stadium if you flash your vaccine passport, or you can sit in the non-vax section. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think what we tried to do is um, is really explain the the benefits of once you're vaccinated. So we've seen, uh, you know, CDC changing recommendations of how people can come together. Um, uh, that the the vaccines are keeping people safe. They're allowing people to uh, meet their family members. The the impact it's had. We're starting to see this now. The numbers of which are coming down. We believe. 
you know, are related to the increased amount of vaccinations and therefore allow us to get back as a community to the things that we want. So focusing in on the positives, um, uh, I think does play a significant role, but uh, I think trying to avoid the sort of Machiavellian uh, sections of for vaccinated and unvaccinated or getting to um, passports of to be able to uh, move about society uh, not sure that would be accepted nor uh, as effective uh, really as one-on-one -on -one conversations with trusted messengers. Thank you. Uh, next question. Good morning, Dr. Benjamin. Thanks for uh, taking the time today. Um, my question had to do with sort of the, the age disparity that we're seeing. So here in Maine, we've got a lot of old people, as everybody knows. Um, they were pretty eager to go out and get vaccinated. So we've got a real good percentage of, you know, 60 and older who are protected, which is great. We've got a really big gap among younger people, 20s, 30s, 40s, et cetera. And those are the people that are driving cases and hospitalizations, and even in some cases, some deaths. But it seems to me that there's still this dramatic disconnect between some younger people who just don't see the virus as a real threat to them. And so they don't, you know, if they're looking at, geez, I take my chances with the virus or do I take my chances with this vaccine that maybe was rushed or, you know, maybe has some side effects. And I wonder, you know, what kind of messaging for that population um, is most effective? And are you seeing this in other places too? Yeah, I think this is a, a general concern we've seen among the hesitant um, and both young and old, but particularly the young who may have this, uh, this feeling that they are uh, more, uh, less at risk, uh, more naturally immune, immune. And there we're really trying to create the, the message that this is you know, much more than about you. It's much more about the individual. Um, the more the virus exists in our society, uh, two things happen. One, the virus has a chance to mutate, right? It's still being passed around. And it will, you know, if it mutates into something that's even more transmissible or more deadly, uh, that's a real concern to us or not susceptible to a vaccine. Um, the second is that people who are unvaccinated and have COVID can pass it to others in the community, including those who may have been vaccinated, maybe and, you know, have a, a less of a strong immune response. Um, and we know that that's certainly a possibility uh, that even vaccinated people can uh, get the, the virus. And so our messaging is the, 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 the side effects of this vaccine are so rare and we actually compare it to, uh, you know, being hit by lightning. In, in the United States, you have about a one to two out of a million chances a year of being hit by lightning. Uh, any side effects, serious side effects from the vaccine is actually significantly below that. Um, and yet your chances of getting the, the virus itself or passing it on in the community are significantly higher than any risk one would have from a, a serious complication from this virus, which is very rare. So we're trying to trying to approach this through education uh, by talking about the risks and talking about the impact uh, on the community itself. 
And if I could just follow up, Bob, with one more thing. Um, another area of concern here in Maine and probably other states as well is reaching rural populations. And, you know, these are, as we talk about the next stage, which I think is reaching people through their primary care doctors, there's a lot of people in rural Maine and rural America that don't see their primary care doctor all that well um, and don't ever go to the doctor unless, you know, they break their hip or something. So, you know, are there are there different sort of outreach things that um, primary care doctors can do to patients that they they may not see regularly or people who don't have primary care physicians at all, which could include a, a lot of younger people? Yeah, and in fact, we're starting to see now uh, both uh, the states and governments as well as health systems are creating much more proactive approaches, uh, getting out to people's homes, people who are shut in uh, to do two things. One, have conversations with them, uh, such as uh, using our, our toolkit to have the conversation about should they be vaccinated, and then right there have the vaccine available. Uh, and so I'm really pleased to see uh, both states and private health systems taking this much more proactive approach now, particularly for people who don't go to their primary care physicians uh, or don't have access. Um, so that's, that's very encouraging. Um, we have to do everything we can to have these conversations and have uh, equitable access to these vaccines. Thank you. Uh, next question. Hi, thanks. I was so glad that asked the question about younger populations and I had a really quick follow up on that. You mentioned that people's concerns tend to fall into three buckets and I wondered for the 30 and under group, did you find their concerns tending to fall into one bucket more than others? Well, I will say, you know, again, that what we find is that the populations of hesitant people, you know, are, they're not monolithic. Um, we see uh, a spectrum of politics and a spectrum uh, of, of age. Uh, so it's very difficult to classify uh, the young people just falling into this uh, issue of concern over safety or efficacy or trust because it's, it's really filtered through uh, so many other uh, layers of both uh, of politics and race and location and income. Um, so it's very difficult to see. Uh, in our research, we saw that uh, the populations are not monolithic and they are so unique uh, and have so many contributing factors. And that's why when we created the toolkit, we thought the best approach was to create a motivational interviewing technique that really promotes listening, I'm trying to understand what are your concerns? Uh, what do they stem from? Uh, and then addressing that directly, uh, rather than assuming that uh, all young people or all rural people uh, have uh, fallen to these, this bucket or that. Great, thank you. All right, um, looks like that may be our last question. Does anybody else have any other questions? Um, I'm going to ask a question. I think it's probably outside your expertise, but I'm going to try anyway. Um, so do you have any idea about um, how we, we have been talking, people have kind of touched on uh, employers making vaccinations mandatory. Do you see that backfiring in any way, or is it even possible for, for employers to do at this point? Well, I do, I do think, you know, private employers may have that right uh, to do that, but it well, it's also going to vary state by state. 
Um, you know, while the vaccines are still under emergency youth authorization, I think that's also a bigger concern. Once the vaccines are completely FDA approved, we may see uh, an increase in the amount of employers wanting to make it mandatory. Uh, and I think there'll be a higher chance that that could happen. Um, so again, I, you know, the mandatory aspect of this, um, I think could play a role. A lot of uh, legal issues in terms of both FDA authorization and how the states are gonna manage that. Um, our goal here was to say, let's, let's listen let's create a toolkit to allow people to have conversations, to learn about their concerns, address them directly, support those conversations with trusted providers. And hopefully that's gonna be a big help right now. Great, thank you. Um, uh, you had mentioned too that uh, right now that uh, things might change once the EUA, the vaccines are actually fully approved by the FDA instead of just authorized through uh, EUA. What's the, what's the difference in, in that situation? Well, you know, when things are uh, passed through the EUA, uh, they really are uh, taking, you know, emergent, uh, it's, a, it's an emergency in terms of a, a public pandemic uh, and the efficacy is based on, you know, the, the trials that are done immediately to say this, this makes sense from a safety profile. Uh, when it moves into a full FDA, there's more hurdles to jump through in terms of uh, the, the process that's there. Uh, and so the, the timing once it takes a little bit longer, they're gonna have plenty of data to be able to make that decision. Uh, and I have no doubt they will be making that decision uh, for full FDA approval, but it, will, it has to go through the, the FDA hurdles. Okay, great. Um, does anybody else have any final questions? All right, um, Dr. Benjamin, do you have any uh, final thoughts for us before we go? No, I just, uh, I would please take a look at our uh, vaccine confidence toolkit. You'll get a sense of how it can be used. Uh, I would say, you know, the biggest thing for me, I would want people to walk away with one is, uh, I'm very optimistic that we're gonna be able to get to high levels of vaccinations. Um, we think that if you, uh, avoid judgment and listen and tailor the messages to different perspectives, uh, explain the benefits, explain uh, with data uh, that people really are, are much more open and particularly when that comes from a trusted provider. Um, we hope this is uh, helpful. We hope the toolkit really has an impact uh, for uh, primary care providers and others who are working with their patients. This concludes the May 7th press conference. 